It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman, coming to you from COG Studios on Monday, May 6th, after the LA Galaxy's 3-2 loss to the New York Red Bulls and just ahead of the LA Galaxy's Wednesday midday or midweek matchup, I should say, against the Columbus crew in Columbus, Ohio. So the road trip continues. The Galaxy uh, struggling. Didn't get any points out of the New York game. A little more hopeful about Columbus, and Columbus is a big deal and a big game. Uh, the Galaxy will end up this week on Saturday, a 1 p.m. kickoff time on a uh, nationally televised uh, location there as they get ready for uh, a game against New York City FC. So a lot to talk about, a lot to get to. We're going to make sure you get all the LA Galaxy news you could possibly get. And in order to help me do that is the one and only Mr. Kevin Baxter. Kevin, how's it going, buddy? This is a really depressing day, don't you think? What? Why is that? Well, first of all, it's the day after Cinco de Mayo. We got to go 364 more days before we get tequila again. That's. Uh, well, so, I don't think that's true. Uh, I think I can drink tequila anytime I want. But yes, go ahead, continue. What else? Well, that's legal. I thought you could only do it once a year. <laughs> yes. Well, that's that's better news then. Okay. But anyway, we still do have 364 days before Mexican Christmas. And then the other thing is, this is the first time we've done a podcast following a galaxy loss in two months it has been a long whenever you go back and you look at what the la galaxy have done uh they haven't lost in a very long time and it used to be able to go back into uh into the very beginning of was it march um when they last lost and that was to fc yeah, dallas March 9th. yeah march 9th so all the way to the beginning of march um and you went all the way through yeah i mean you know that i think that's 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 depressing in a way but it's also pretty impressive whatever you try to put that up against 2016 and 2017 well, you know, we haven't done a podcast following the Galaxy loss at home since October, so yeah. that's a really long time. That's right, the LA Galaxy 6-0-0 at home. Uh, I believe you have a stat on that, Kevin. Only one other team undefeated at home so far. Well, no, there are other teams that are undefeated, but they have draws. There is one, only one other team perfect at home. Okay. The Galaxy 6-0-0 um, have not dropped a point at home, as has the Portland Timbers. They have not dropped a point at home because they haven't played a game at home yet. I was, I was... They, they have their first game at the new uh, stadium. They're, well, not new, renovated stadium 85 million dollar renovation at portland stadium opens june 1st yeah that's right so they'll finally be actually playing home games here in uh, at the end of this month the galaxy as we've said we're going to have a rough month uh six games in may they've already played their first one east coast they go to new york red bulls they lose 3-2 we're going to talk about that here in a second uh the galaxy now um in columbus ohio so they didn't go home they stayed there they trained a little bit i think in new jersey for a little bit then went over to uh to ohio so they're in Ohio as they prepare and get ready for the game against the Columbus crew and Columbus sliding all sorts of places. We'll talk about that game towards the end of it. Um, and then back home for the LA Galaxy on Saturday. Um, and that's just, a, that's the first week in May. Uh, and they have three games, which is half of their games for the entire month. So uh, the Galaxy still end up going on a road trip at the end, another East Coast road trip uh, before they ended up. We, uh, we also told you four of those games are away. Only two of those games are at home and one of those games coming up against New York City on Saturday. Um, so Galaxy uh, uh, in for a little bit of a rough ride here. I think they'll be, uh, they'll be 
probably happy that this uh, month will finally be over, Kevin. But uh, before we even get to the game, before we get to the loss and, and talking through our, you know, our different ways, uh, the LA Galaxy went and did something on Friday after we recorded on Thursday. And if you'll remember on Thursday, the LA Galaxy went out there and acquired targeted allocation money from Minnesota United. We said that they traded $225,000 in jam for $325,000 in TAM. All right, so that wasn't anything in and of itself. But then on Friday, Kevin, they doubled down. Uh, they went after some more TAM. Uh, whenever they traded with the team they'll be playing on Wednesday night, the Columbus Crew, they plated $225,000 in general allocation money, the jam, for $300,000 in targeted allocation money. What that means is that in the span of two days, in the span of roughly 24 hours, uh, the LA Galaxy turned $450,000 of general allocation money into $625,000 in targeted allocation money. Um, Kevin, your, your initial thoughts being that you usually hate all of this stuff and all these roster moves and them trading fake money for fake money. Yeah, I do hate them trading fake money for fake money because first of all, I know you're going to explain this, but that's what I, you know, a lot of comments I was getting from a lot of the fans. Okay. It looks like they made $200,000, but what's the difference between jam and Tam and why would you trade one for the other? Why would uh, the other team give you more money back in this different kind of allocation money? Um, it, why don't you explain exactly what the, the differences of the two are? Because they are used in distinctly different ways. It's just the way these Byzantine MLS rules have been put together. Nobody can really follow what's going on. I'll, I'll argue that they're not so Byzantine whenever you think about it. They're actually the newer rules are probably the ones that have, have decided to uh, to cause the, the league the most problems. But the, the big difference, and if you didn't really want to pay attention to it, is that they can be spent different ways, and that's why. Now, generally, everybody will tell you that general allocation money, the jam, um, is more useful than targeted allocation money because the what you can do with general allocation money uh, is a lot longer list of things than what you can do with targeted allocation money. Targeted allocation money really is targeted. It's for a specific reason, and that's usually to bring in or to buy down contracts of players that are between the max budget charge of $530,000 and up to $1.5 million. That's the ceiling. That is all targeted allocation money can be used for, and you cannot combine it with any other you know, jam. Um, that's it. So, so you can't have general allocation money and targeted allocation money and use them together. So that's why there is this separation. Now, general allocation money can basically do anything you want. Uh, you can pay, you can buy down contracts, you can buy down salary caps. Um, you can offset acquisition costs, which is like loan and transfer fees. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of different things that you can do and general allocation money is more flexible. That's why there is a a, a bigger value placed on general allocation money than targeted allocation money. Does that make but, sense? Yeah, but it's also, I mean, that's a good explanation, but what it really comes down to is what it, what it says is the galaxy knows exactly what they're doing with this money. They're not just uh, scrolling it away for a rainy day that they have a player, which we know already. Yes. But I mean, this, this was what really gave away the whole secret. They have a player that they have agreed to a contract with, and now they need to find a way to play it, to pay him. And that that player is Fabio Alvarez, who's coming from Argentina. Um, I have reason to believe that he, as of right now, Monday night, is with the team in Columbus. Certainly, he will be signed before the, unless something goes really haywire. Uh, certainly, he will be signed before the end of the before the transfer window closes, at a different time, depending on what time zone you're you're in. It could close Tuesday morning if you happen to be on the East Coast, or Wednesday morning, rather. Yeah. But it, it will close uh, uh, 
Tuesday evening here on the West Coast. Um, the Galaxy have this agreement in place for Fabio Alvarez. They will sign him. And they wouldn't have, you know, Dennis DeClose is smart enough. He would not have gone out and made these trades and got this money if he wasn't 100% sure that, you know, everything was set for him to sign Fabio Alvarez. And this is the guy that he's been talking about for a while. It's, he's a an attacker. He's a versatile attacker. He can play a number of different positions. He can play a winger. He can play central midfield. He can be a striker. He can be a center forward. Um, and he's 26 years old. And he's a guy that uh, Guillermo Barrascolotto knows, having played uh, for a while in Argentina. And this kind of furthers that pattern that we've seen from Dennis DeClosa and, and Guillermo Barrascolotto, where they're bringing in a lot of Latin American players that they're very familiar with, that they have good contacts with, and that play the style, which is most important perhaps, play the style uh, that the Galaxy want to play right now. And it's different from the Galaxy of a couple years ago. Remember when they were bringing in a, a lot of European players like Ramon Alessandrini and Jao Pedro and Michael Ciani and, and Jordan Chelvik and Ralph Felcher. Now they're bringing in a lot of Latin American players uh, who, again, you know, familiar with the style, familiar with the coaching staff, um, and we're, are ready to go right away, you know, fit right in. As soon as they land, they're ready to play. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's all interesting. Uh, can I, can I, uh, I'm going to fangirl here for a second uh, about Dennis DeClosa and, and what he was able to do because basically, in my mind at least, Kevin, and, and you know, you can tell me if you think I'm, I'm crazy on this, but whenever I look at this move and how smart this move is, Dennis goes in and knows that general allocation money is valued more than targeted allocation money, and he knows that he needs more of one of them. Right. He can't use the, the general allocation money. I'm guessing he didn't have enough to close the deal uh, for this particular player. If it's uh, Fabio Alvarez, didn't have enough of the general allocation money to probably get this deal done. Um, well, and, and just we need to say why, because he spent general. He spent Tam money on Joe Corona. He spent money on uh, Giancarlo uh, Gonzalez, who we're going to speak about in a bit, why he's not playing. We need to discuss that. But he's he spent quite a bit of this money that the. Corona and, and Gonzalez, my understanding, both came in over the maximum budget charge of 530. So he needed allocation money to pay for them. So he spent some of that. He needed more is what it comes down to. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, so if you don't have enough of one, how can you create that? And and what you saw Dennis DeClosa do is he manufactured $225,000. Um, regardless of its jam or tam, he created out of thin air. He didn't have it. He created $225,000 because he basically spent $450,000 in general allocation money and came away with $625,000 in targeted allocation money, right? And so when you look at this and what the, the Galaxy were able to do, um, you know, it, it's it's a bit of a masterclass in this. You know there's overvalue, Kevin. You know that there's value placed on general allocation money. You know that teams are going to be like, oh, well, you want to trade me some TAM for jam? Okay, let's do that. And he goes and he finds two teams, and basically what he's saying to these two teams without them knowing it is, hey, I don't have enough money. I need more money in order to get a player, so why don't you pay for that player to come in? Because that's what you're going to do. You're going to pay me more because you value the general allocation money more, and maybe necessarily you shouldn't, but to your team, that makes sense. To the Galaxy right now, the the bigger value for them is the targeted allocation money. Is the 625 k that they're going to be able to spend on this player because it gets them this player and it gets them on the roster. So despite the fact that everybody in Major League Soccer is going to tell everyone that general allocation money is more valuable, and even Tecloso acknowledges it in this, he comes back and he basically manufactures that cash and gets the LA Galaxy to be able to acquire this player. That well, I, I don't know if I'm going to throw those other teams under the bus because they needed their. If, they, I'm sure they needed the money for their purposes, and and I'm sure 
once, especially with the second deal, once the second deal was done, I'm sure the teams knew like, hey, something's up over here. But they, they don't care. Uh, you know, if it winds up helping the Galaxy, but they also get what they want out of it, I'm sure they're fine with it. It's but, a good trade. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say it's a good trade. It's a good trade on their side as well. But I mean, for Teclosa, he's sitting there going, okay, I need to generate cash. How do I do that? And he goes out knowing that other teams will be more than happy to give him more target allocation money than general allocation money because that's how it's valued. But to the Galaxy right now, the higher number the cash that he's able to generate is more important than what the general allocation money or rather targeted allocation money well, and, and 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 we I, I don't know i mean it's early you, you 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 know things can go south quick in mls but right now you're right dennis de close is doing a masterful job remember he'd been in mls before but that was you know 10 years ago the rules are completely different there wasn't jam tam lamb ham there was none of that stuff back then so this is all new it's not like he knew how to do this before he came in he learned uh the landscape very very quickly learned how to manipulate it remember he got a ton of money when ola kamara left um you know he ended the the contract with Gio gonzalez uh, Gio dos santos now that that did cost the galaxy a lot of money but it opened up a, an awful lot of options for them um, I don't know that he's Bruce Arena just yet. Bruce Arena was the master. He was the one that uh, found all the loopholes in MLS rules. So I don't know if, if in four months or five months, Dennis DeClosa is there just yet. But right. he's Bruce Arena adjacent at this point, I think. <laughs> Bruce Arena adjacent. I like that. That's a, that's a good location. Well, I've said that uh, only the Dutch could do it, could manipulate the currency uh, in this sort of fashion uh, this quickly in there. And so Dennis DeClosa uh, putting his, his touches on that. Um, I think... Listen, you know, not knowing uh, Fabio Alvarez from any other player that I've seen and watching the highlight videos and sort of understanding the career and looking at it, um, it seems like it's going to be another solid uh, signing. But what gives me the 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 at least the outlook that this is probably a good signing is really the fact that Dennis DeClosa and Guillermo Barrescoloto went out and got this guy. Um, that to me gives me more of a positive feeling like it'll work out more than anything else uh, because so far they've been hitting on the people that they brought in. Even the even the guys they're bringing up from the academy with uh, Julian Araujo, who we're going to talk about, and Didi Traore are also, I mean, you know, and Efrain Alvarez. I mean, Alvarez we've known about, but outside, you know, you look at Araujo um, and them going out and basically throwing his homegrown rights away and still signing him because they're like, yeah, this kid can play and being right about it. And then Didi Traore coming in and signing him to a first team, letting him play down at G two for a little while and then watching him blow G2 up and being like, okay, that's we're, we're wasting him down there. Let's get him up here and play. And to do that now in successive games uh, as we transition into the 3-2 loss to the New York Red Bulls, but uh, to do that in successive games, Kevin, where you have a million-dollar uh, left back who you're sitting on the bench for this. Well, you know, another thing with, uh, yeah, well, and we'll get to that in a minute too, but I wanna, before we get away from Alvarez, when I talked to, to Dennis a couple of weeks ago, before the Ramon Alessandrini injury, uh, he talked about a player that definitely fits Alvarez's profile. So I think probably that was their target all along. But he talked about how, you know what, we might not be able to get this guy in before the transfer window closes. We might have to wait till the summer. That's okay. You know, we'll get him in in the summer when the U.S. Open Cup schedule really hits hard and we're coming off the Gold Cup when we're going to need help. And then Ramon Alessandrini gets hurt, and he says, I think we're going to get this done before the transfer window. Um, the front office, in my mind, and again, it's early. You know, I need to caution. We we can't get too excited just yet. But after the last couple of years where I think the front office has not been necessarily the best one in the league, to see that the way that Dennis has, has maneuvered and realizing that with Ramon Alessandrini, time was short, the, the, the window was starting to close, he made this happen. And, and perhaps they had to pay a little bit more uh, to get the player in, 
And, uh, you know, my understanding is he's coming on a, on a one-year loan with an option to buy. Yeah, I think I think um, we should call that like a season-long loan, uh, yeah. more than maybe one year. Yeah, like season-long. It seems like the that will run through the end of this season from what I've sort of been picking up. Uh, I don't know but, if that's if you disagree with that, but that's what I've been sort of following. And, and you know, it's a genius move. He got it done in time to get it in under the transfer window. So now, uh, with this heavy part of the schedule uh, in, in May and then going into June where the Gold Cup is going to take away presumably a couple of players at least you know in the midfield where this guy can play that's going to it's going to be very helpful by the way is it fabio with a b or fabio with a b because if you if you google the guy he comes up both ways yeah uh v as far as i know uh as in victor um that's as in fabio yeah fabio yeah not fabio like the like the uh woman's romance actor with long hair that guy not not that guy I thought that was the guy we were getting. <laughs> yes, <laughs> big body, big body, not physical not, presence. Not not much in the way of uh, of foot handling skills and technical ability, though. Um, no, so it's uh, it, it is an interesting um, it's it's an interesting timing. We'll see if the Galaxy can pull it off. I mean, I, I'm of the uh, of the opinion, by the way, that they can and that they will, and that all that seems like it's fine. Uh, but the LA Galaxy basically have until 9:59 Pacific time on May 7th. Uh, if you're listening to that and it is close to that time right now and the Galaxy haven't made a move, you might be a little worried. I'll tell you this, that we might not even be updated, Kevin, until the following morning if it happens right at the uh, at the last minute here. But I, I, I feel like it, it should happen sometime on the 7th um, and that we'll know about it. And it seems like this is a pretty controlled thing right now. I don't feel like yeah, it's, I, it's I going think, sideways. Frankly, I think it's already happened. I think he's in. I think he's in. Uh, in Columbus with the team and it's just a matter of announcing it. And sometimes a lot of times that's the club's issue. A lot of times it's MLS having to, to triple check the roster and make sure everything's done correctly. And, and perhaps if this is a somewhat complicated deal, uh, that would be a reason. And the club doesn't want to get out in front of the league and announce it before the league has approved it because what if something goes South? Um, so I, you know, I, I think the deal is done. I'm certainly, there's been more than a handshake at this point, or, or Dennis would have went out and got that money. So I think you can rest assured that it's going to happen. But until until we see the uh, the the email come in, uh, I guess we should speak as, in, in hopeful terms and not concrete terms. Yeah, just yet. I was going to say because that would that, that that's one way to ruin a podcast immediately. It already happens that it, yeah, it so, happened to us before. Remember, we, ha- we did one on one topic a couple years ago. <laughs> we and had to dump as it as soon as we ended. Uh, I don't even remember what, what it was, but as soon as it, we we ended the podcast, that uh, everything changed. Yeah, I. I think wasn't that the one that uh, there was there was one podcast that we absolutely 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 dumped um, that it came out the next day and we were holding it because we're like oh this is gonna happen and then it didn't happen the way that we were told or that we thought it was gonna go down and so we had to dump the podcast uh, and then there was another one that we got done recording and as soon as I got done recording I was like wait stop everything something just happened and we had to go in and add like another five minutes onto the podcast after we were done so yeah those are me. the only two mistakes i think we have ever ever made, ever made. we've been perfect otherwise yeah, yep. we're just killing it killing it at home um so anyway so now we go to the la galaxy uh the 3-2 loss against new york red bulls um you saw a lineup here that was the same as the lineup that beat real salt lake uh including the bench really was i, I think also the same um, which included uh, Bingham and Goal, Triori was Didi Triori on the left side, uh, Polenta, Steras, and Felcher, uh, Corona, Jonathan Dos Santos, Antuna, Legette, Pontius, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. That bench consisted of Lampson, Shelvick, uh, Juninho, excuse me, uh, Gonzalez, so uh, Giancarlo Pipo Gonzalez is there. Uh, then also Carrasco, Boateng, and Cuello. 
so that's where the LA Galaxy were sitting. Um, you knew that they were going to come into this game tired, um, even though they had a week off. And I think that it ultimately, whenever you look at this and, and the ultimate result, you're going to see a team that probably needs a, an, an offensive refreshment in terms of a new player being brought in, Kevin. So it would be nice uh, if the LA Galaxy do actually land uh, Fabio Alvarez and get him on this roster because they need another sub. They need another person to come off the bench. They also need somebody, if that means that it moves somebody who's a starter to the bench, that also sort of fits the bill. But, I mean, this this team has looked tired in the last couple games, and I, I think we've seen that. Well, and, you know, they're coming off a streak where they played, what, three games in 10 days. They get a little bit of time off and go right into three games in eight days, and they have to go all the way to the East Coast. Um, they're out, they do get a break in June with the Gold Cup. They, you know, they only play uh, three games in June, and they play June 1st, and then they get three weeks off. But, yeah, it's a tough streak to get through, and, and uh, it, the one guy that seems to have weathered it fairly well so far, I think, is Zlatan, the yeah. oldest field player in the league. He's played 90 minutes every game he's played in. Yeah, yeah, he's he continues to go, and you know people are sort of saying when are they going to manage minutes, and you know whether there would even be some roster rotation, and would that include Ibrahimovic? I think for right now, early in the season, the answer is no, um, and I think that's interesting to watch to see if it does indeed happen. We haven't seen GBS be put in this situation before, and that's sort of where people are asking, you know, as you look to the Columbus game after seeing what happened in this New York game, you know, do you see that? And it's like, well, we don't really have anything to base. Um, base it off of from Guillermo Barros-Scoloto. Now, we used to know that Bruce Arena used to do this, and there would be massive squad rotation whenever it would come to a midweek game away somewhere in a game that maybe he didn't think he needed to win or a game that he thought he'd be good enough to get, you know, at what point from. Um, so it'll be, again, it's something to watch as we look at that Columbus game and sort of go through this New York game, but I mean, the Galaxy give up a goal first, which is never a good way to go. And it's, I think it was the first time the LA Galaxy gave up the first goal since the Dallas game. Um, and so, um, you know, that's, that's something that's interesting because you, you look at the Galaxy and how successful they've been at keeping people out of the back of the net. Um, and so you had one of the league's top defenses come in and concede three goals, which is a question mark that you now ask yourself about Columbus and going forward. Um, but then you saw the Galaxy come back and score two goals, Kevin, and you saw them score with, uh, with two goals that came from Diego Polenta, who I thought had a really good game on the offensive side of things. He had two assists in the game. Um, but uh, the Galaxy end up giving uh, giving up two more goals, and there's a controversial call that we can talk about in the 67th minute. But you look at how the Galaxy came back um, and really sort of dominated this game. Regardless of what happens, Kevin, if you look at all of the stats and everything that happened, the LA Galaxy outshot New York 22-14. to 14. They outpossessed them 62-38%. to 38%. Uh, they forced New York to make 26 clearances, and I think the Galaxy had eight clearances. Uh, the Galaxy had 172 more passes than New York and was more accurate in the final third, 77%, than in the attacking half. So if you look in the attacking half and sort of the middle of the field, they were at 73% success rate in passing, and they were 77% uh, success rates in the final third. So the Galaxy did a whole bunch of things really well in this game. Uh, they just didn't play great defense. The midfield was a little lacking for me. Um, and the uh, they didn't finish some of the chances that they actually had. Uh, Chris Pontius went off the woodwork, uh, a couple misses. Uh, they created chances. It just uh, it, it didn't work for them this time, and maybe we've seen this pattern already, Kevin, is that the Galaxy didn't play well and got away with wins, and in this particular case, they didn't play particularly well, even with all those dominating sort of stats, um, and, and they didn't get the win this time. Well, you know who leads the team in assists, by the way? I do know, but you can tell everybody. Diego Polenta, a defender, and Rolf Felcher is uh, tied for second with two assists. Diego Polenta has three. Um, and Zalatan, of course, scored a goal and assisted on a goal. 
so um, continues to sort of uh, dominate uh, the offense. You know, again, everything continues to go through him. When you talk about um, the, the potential for squad rotation, I think there'll be some interesting decisions coming up in Columbus because three games in eight days with this travel, it seems to me that somebody's got to come off and maybe Zlatan's not the guy. Maybe, maybe the the deal is he's a veteran. He's smart enough. Yes, he's 37, but he knows he can pace himself. He knows when actually to run and when to rest. Uh, people talk a lot about, you know, the fact he didn't track back on defense and stuff that he's preserving himself so he can play 90 minutes every game. Um, the one guy to me that's really interesting is Daniel Starris though, because he's played so well this year Yes, John Carlos Gonzalez was brought in to play. That's why they paid so much money. That's why he was their target for months. They, you know, the idea is for him to play at center back and to be paired with Diego Polenta. But you can't get Daniel Steris off the field right now. That the the chemistry between Polenta and Steris is so good, and Steris is playing so well that GBS doesn't want to mess mess that up. Um, but if there is some squad rotation, I wonder if Steris comes out. Um, and if he comes out, then I wonder if he gets back on. I mean, it's a really kind of a delicate situation. Um, they want Giancarlo San, uh, Gonzalez on the field, but they don't want to take Daniel Starris off. I don't know. Maybe does Polenta come off for a game? He's playing really well right now, too. Yeah, so here's some Daniel Starris stats because I was getting into it on Twitter a little bit about you know whether or not. I, listen, I think that if you're going to be Guillermo Barrascoleto, that you have every right to now start Gonzalez in place of Starris. I don't think Starris had a horrible game. Um, he didn't have one of his better games, and the Galaxy gave up three goals. So you can sit there. Now, I would, by the way, if you're asking Josh what caused that, I would say that the link between the defense and the midfield was not there and the midfield was very tired and was not tracking back and killing some of the runs that they've been tracking back the entire time so if you want I can I can certainly place a lot of the blame on Jonathan Dos Santos who I thought had his worst game of the season against New York and I think and by the way that still doesn't mean it was a horrible game um, it was still a very good game for him it just wasn't great like we've seen from him uh, you know Joe Corona well, and, didn't and that's to... why defender has to assist because there is no link between the back line and the front line so yeah I mean you know Polent is going right through the midfield that is that that is where if you want to look at how the Galaxy created the offense, it was because they bypassed the midfield and they went up over the top, but it was also to some midfielders. You know, Chris Pontius got involved and Tuna got involved and Tuna has two goals in two games. So, I mean, you have to like the variety that you saw in this game, which is in the last two games, it hasn't all been Zlatan and the combinations may have gone through Zlatan, but that's fine. That's what you would expect from him. But anyway, Daniel Starris, let me give you my Daniel Starris stats. In his last 15 games, this goes back to whenever he started in 2018, whenever uh, Dom Kinnear took over and shut everything down and said, Dave Romney, Dan Starris, you guys are starting. You're going to start, you know, until the end. And it goes all the way into this last game. So in the last 15 games, uh, Starris has played the full 90 minutes every single game. That's 1,350 minutes. He scored two goals. The Galaxy have 10 wins, three losses, two ties. Whenever Daniel Starris plays right now in these last 15 games, uh, the Galaxy have scored 29 goals, have allowed 16, and have a goal differential of plus 13. That's whenever Daniel Starris is on the field. Um, I can't, you know, there was, I think the discussion on Twitter was whether or not you're seeing the real Daniel Starris right now, Kevin, or if you're seeing a guy who's more than likely going to regress because these last 15 games don't show who the true Daniel Starris is. Well, that's kind of harsh. I, I, I do think this is a guy who's playing for a supper. I do think he realizes that, um, it, you know, there's a guy waiting in the wings that the, the coaching staff wants to play. Uh, and Daniel Starris needs to keep playing at a high level to keep his job. I do think he's very cognizant of that. Um, but credit to the coaching staff to say, yeah, we've, we, this is the guy we wanted. Gonzalez is the guy we wanted. We paid a lot of money to get him here. We envisioned a defense with him as an anchor. 
Uh, but Daniel Sturris is really good right now, so we're going to keep him in there. Um, but I, you know, again, going back to the whole philosophy of getting Gonzalez in here and what did they want, what they wanted him to do, and and their vision of a of a uh, you know, two center backs, Polenta and Gonzalez, who have a lot in common and are going to have great chemistry when they start playing together for the coaching staff to say, we're going to prolong that. We're going to put that off a little bit uh, because Daniel Stairs is playing so well. Credit to them. That's why I think if there is some squad rotation, it'll be very interesting to see if Daniel Stairs is the guy that comes out and then how, how Gonzalez and Polenta, who would I assume would be the pairing, how they play with one another. And one of the coaching staff looks at that and says, yeah, the chemistry we thought was going to be there is there. Uh, Daniel Steris, you've been you've been great, but now you're the first guy off the bench. Uh, update on Ibrahimovic, by the way. That's ninth goal in eight games, as I, I think we've sort of been talking about. He now averages 1.13 goals per game through this season uh, and one goal every 80 minutes this season. If he keeps that right now on pace, uh, he'll obliterate the LA Galaxy scoring record um, on its own. So just it's it's not even close right now in terms of the goals per minute and the goals per game and stuff like that. He's, he's outpacing everything. Um, and he had a good game. He was actually, if you looked at the rankings and sort of the stats and where everybody was putting it, he had the best game out of anybody on the field, which is great. Uh, Diego Polenta got knocked down because the defense gave up three goals, uh, even though he had two assists. Uh, so you can look at that. Uh, I mean, again, we could go back to the midfield. I think the midfield's tired right now, Kevin. I think all of the counterattacking and all of the stuff. I mean, this was a team, a New York team, without Bradley Wright Phillips and without Kaku. Um, and the Galaxy probably should have at least gotten a point out of this. I think a point would have been a fair result. Uh, of course, it also hinges on some VAR controversy and stuff that you know we've sort of been going back and forth and talking about on and off here for, for different podcasts. But if you go back in this, um, a Galaxy goal was waved off in the 24th minute on a handball. It was a correct call, and it shouldn't have happened, or it was even, even offside. I don't really even remember what it was, but it was waved off. It was correct. Uh, a New York Red Bull goal was waved off in the 34th minute. Now, modeling of that actually shows that I think uh, Daniel Royer was onside, uh, even though on the video he definitely looks offside. But the big deal in all of this, and it has always been with VAR, is what was the call on the field and what they allowed the play they allowed the play to roll. Uh, Daniel Royer scored, and then after he scored, the linesman put his flag up. So the the call on the field was offside. Okay, that is that's very simple because if you go and you watch certain instant replay and you hear Bobby Warshaw out there trying to tell you that the the call was overturned and that it was overturned with no evidence, he's incorrect. The call was not overturned. It was offside. And then they looked at it and said there's no clear and obvious error in that. And so that all worked. Uh, Chris, well, the, d yeah. the debate on that, though, is because official waited until after the goal to raise the which, flag. which they're he being the which they're being told to, which they're being told to do that right, is very correct very smart thing to do but uh, that the play wasn't overruled the, the call was offside the flag just didn't come up till the end of the play until they let it play out because you know why right. the linesman said it's really close i think it's offside but it's really close let's let this play they score the goal okay now i'm going to tell you i think it's offside that's what right. i saw and, on the play and the reason for that obvious i mean it's obvious is if the referee raises the flag uh, and then it, the guy's not offside. There's no way that you can go back and look at that because right. you've already whistled the play dead. So yeah. th that's a smart rule by the by the uh, by the sideline official. Okay. So now you go into the fact that uh, the Galaxy. Okay. So goals are scored. A whole bunch of stuff. That what really comes down to is the 67th minute. And this is the despite what Major League Soccer is saying and despite what everybody on social media is saying, this is the most controversial call of the weekend. Uh, I expect that Pro, the Professional Referees Organization, who has been putting out 
VAR videos every single week, we'll go back and look at this one. And in my mind, they're going to go back and say, okay, here's where the on-the-field crew made a mistake, okay? Because I don't think they got this call right. I think it's wrong. Now, we don't have, uh, unfortunately, there were no uh, pool reporters that asked a question. Yeah, what did they? What did the officials say to the pool reporters it, after the game, Josh? It doesn't, that seems like an obvious question. It doesn't seem that anybody in New York, and I've asked and I've received no confirmations that it happened, and I would imagine we would have seen the response by now because I'd certainly have been looking, but it doesn't seem that any New York-based poll reporters asked the question. Probably because, and I've seen this in other places, that whenever the home team wins, that the, the question doesn't get asked. Um, that's not what happens um, in, in the particular press box where I'm a pool reporter uh, in L.A. I'm an L.A.-based pool reporter. If I was in New York, I would have been capable of asking the question. I was not in New York, so I could not ask the question. Um, so it, it's unfortunate because we would have been able to ask, and I even got into this. Taylor Twelman, who was doing the uh, play-by-play or, or the color side of things on, on ESPN for this game, um, went out there, and he leaned one way real hard, and then all of a sudden the call came back the other way, and he, he flip-flopped, which... Yeah, it's Taylor's whatever. I know people hate Taylor Twelman. I'm not one of those people. Taylor and I get along great. We have great conversations all the time. But I came out and said after Taylor went on Twitter after the game and I said, listen, I go, we don't even know what the referees were looking at in this. We're all assuming they're looking at Brian White, who clearly makes contact with David Bingham right before the ball is kicked. Um, and in this particular case, Brian White is offside. He's in the way of David Bingham. Uh, he causes Rolf Felcher to follow him in an offside position. So Felcher is there as well. Uh, and the referee flagged for offside. So what you need to see in this replay is clear and obvious error that was made and clear and obvious evidence to overturn this call. And what you didn't see in any of the video is anything near clear and obvious unless the referees are not looking at the same thing we're all looking at, that they're not looking at offside, that they're looking at whether or not Brian White touched the ball. Because that could have been what the AR raised his flag on and said, hey, he touched the ball. I'm going to call him offside. And so what happens is sometimes there's this false focus that happens, Kevin. I've seen it now in a couple of VARs, and I watch the pro replays all the time. But there's this false focus where you're looking at one situation, but you're not understanding the larger situation, which was, did he interfere with the goalkeeper? And it's, it's clear as day. David Bingham even tweeted out the picture with a uh, a thinking emoji, you know, the little thinking happy face, Kevin. And he was like, hey, hmm, hmm, does this look like there's no interference? And it's clear there was. And the referee flagged it as offside. So they got this call wrong. Now, they got this call right on the field, um, which is the disappointing part of this. And then they go to VAR and they overturn it. Um, so in order to overturn that, they had to have had a bunch of evidence. So I'll be interested to see what Pro says. But... I mean, you know, are we getting used to VAR yet? I actually still am a big, big believer in the particular technology. Um, I think they get it right some of the time there, Kevin. Uh, I still think that the Bundesliga does it better than anybody else. And if you're not at that level, then you're already hurting the game. So, you know, it's it's an ongoing argument about VAR that I think everybody continues to have. Well, one of F. Taylor's points was that David Bingham dove the wrong way and therefore showed the referee that he was not going to be in position to make the save. That's not in the rule book. It doesn't say you, uh, you know, you, if the goalkeeper is not in position to make the save, then he can't be interfered with. That's not in the rule book. And perhaps David Bingham dove the way he did because of the interference. I mean, I, I don't know how it all went down. We don't know what the officials thought because no one thought to ask them. By the way, every time you say that you're the pool reporter, I think about, I envision you in your in your trunks in a pool with like a, 
a seahorse uh, float, you know, no, kind of it, float it's, a, it's a duck. It's a, it's a pato floaty. It's a duck, a pato one. Yes. But, you know, as far as the VAR goes and replays, and, and this is probably largely true in all sports, I guess I kind of have surprised, surprisingly enough, I have an old school view of this in that, um, you know, players make mistakes all the time. So why, why do the officials have to be perfect all the time? And I, I, I do think this goes, and I, and I don't want a game like they're talking about in baseball now to perhaps have balls and strikes called by some sort of technology. You know, if we're going to do that, if everything's going to be decided by technology, why don't we just play, you know, just get Xbox out and we'll play that and, and leave the, you know, we don't have to go to big stadiums and pay players millions of dollars. If we're just, everything's going to be technology, let's just play video games from now on. But as far as one reason with, with uh, you know, video replay, I, I really think it goes back to, and this is old school too, it goes back to a playoff game at Yankee Stadium about t- 20 years ago. Um, well, not quite 20 years ago, but close where the Yankees and Red Sox were playing and a, a, a Boston player hit a home run, went into the left field stands. There was a fan in a white shirt that stood up and tried to catch the ball. The ball bounced off the fan back onto the onto the the uh, field. And because the player was wearing a white shirt, the umpire who had to make the call did not see the ball hit him. It was white on white. Thought the ball hit the wall, came back on and called it a, a double. The replay showed clearly that it was a home run, and the umpires got together and made the right call. But the point on that was everybody in the world saw the replay and knew it was a home run. The umpire who had to make the call did not see it because he wasn't able to look at the replay and uh, made the wrong call. And everybody in the world knew it was wrong. So they looked at technology, and they looked at the 2010 World Cup, which happened after that, where Frank Lampard had a goal taken away in a knockout round game, and England wound up losing that game. Everybody knew that the referee made the wrong call except the referee who couldn't look at video replay. So all of a sudden, smartly, all, all leagues looked at video replay and said, look, we can't have these kind of embarrassing things. There are there are times and places where we need to allow the officials to look at the replay just to, provo- to prevent them from being embarrassed, if nothing else. Right. Um, but it's it does seem like it's now three or four times a game. Remember when it first started, uh, the VAR was not used every game. Now it seems like it's used in every game. It does, as Stuart Holden complained on Twitter, it, it does slow down the game. There are unfortunate breaks that happen. And, and you look at, you know, in certain games where teams will make substitutions just to slow down the pace of a game. Or in the NBA, they'll call a timeout to slow down the pace of the game. When you're having these breaks in play to look at a video review, that that changes the momentum of a game a lot of times. So I, I, I think it has a place. I think it's important. But it does feel like it's being overused now. It's, it's being used over and over again. Referees are afraid to make a call because they're afraid that's going to be overturned. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I think that they're looking at it multiple different ways and, and, and taking... Hey, listen, I want them to be able to get it correctly. I mean, you know, the the bottom line is that you don't want to have those embarrassing situations. You don't want to have, you know, that, that look of, oh, well, everybody else saw that ball go over the line. But the bottom line is that we're getting to the point where the clear and obvious sort of, you know, wording, the, the idea that there's a clear and obvious error is interpreted, just like many other laws of the game, interpreted by every single referee. And so whenever you're looking at this stuff, there's so much gray area. And listen, there's gray area in this Bingham call. I'm going to say, I'm going to say that the gray area probably tells you that there's so much gray area, that there's so much in the way that you can't sit there and conclusively come to the decision that Brian White did not interfere with David Bingham's sight line, did not interfere with the play. I mean, we've, we've gone to the point where we, we've 
transitioned into passive offside, which is really the crux of this argument more than probably it is VAR. But that passive offside is, you know, the player has to touch the ball in order for him to be an active onside thing. And that's just that we have to get away from that again, because anytime an offside player draws another player, anytime you have anybody looking at all these different things, you're going to have an issue with, um, you know, players tracking. I mean, Rolf Felcher comes by and looks exactly, you know, has to cover Brian White in that. Whenever he covers Brian White in that, that's a big deal. So, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that you look at and you say, okay, well, clearly Brian White is involved in this play. There's no way that you can say he's not involved. And the fact that the ball goes inches from his foot tells you again that he's involved in this play. So you can't sit there and if you're VAR, then decide that, oh, well, but he wasn't really in the play. I mean, look, David Bingham goes the other way. Well, is Rolf Felcher where he is without Brian White being in an offside position? And the answer is no, he's not. Because Brian White's not in an onside position drawing Felcher. He's in an offside position drawing Felcher. And so whenever you try to determine what these passive offsides are and how that affects the play, I think that's the bigger question more than VAR. Because if that's solved, VAR has a clear way to look at these things and do these things. Well, you make a number of uh, good points. Uh, first of all, the fact that they looked at the video and it wasn't conclusive, or, or at least it didn't tell them what they wanted to know. So they got the call wrong, then they looked at the video, and they still got the call wrong. Um, so what help did the video provide? Um, you know, another thing is is we have now have, uh, you know, 22 athletes on the field. They're bigger, stronger, faster than they were even a couple years ago, certainly when someone came up with the idea that we'd have one referee in the center and two referees on the sidelines. Things have changed. And, and you know, the NBA addressed this. It's been a, a long time, but the NBA addressed that at one point where they added an extra referee. I'm wondering if maybe it's time for soccer to add an extra center referee to have two on the field because the players, again, you know, things are happening at a much uh, higher rate of speed. And even when you slow that video down, it's like, tough. you know, we, we said the referees didn't get it right. How can they get it right in real time? Yeah. So, no. and, and another thing too, to address the concerns that, that I and others have about too many video replays are slowing down and affecting the pace and the momentum of a game. What about the idea of going to what baseball and football has, which is you have a number of, uh, you, you know, both benches have a number of challenges to a game call it and if they get them wrong they lose one of those challenges that would sort of limit it and it would referees mistakes would be become part of the game which i think is fair because players mistakes are part of the game but an egregious error that there's obviously uh you know um uh, evidence of then teams could challenge that and the referees would get the most egregious errors right i mean i wonder if that's where we're headed well i mean if you go to that here's my here's my concern with that if you go to that um, and you say, oh, that you can challenge it is you're always in the position that that's like, you know, that's part of the game in terms of its gamesmanship. What what happens if you're able, you know, OK, so you're allowed to have three challenges and, um, you know, it, it obviously depends on how you set that up. But what happens if you get to the end of the game and somebody knocks the ball and spikes the ball into the net, into the into the goal with their hand and you don't have any challenges left? I mean, you get to the point where you're like, okay, are we trying to get it right, or is this just part of a game now um, that you have to play? Because if you look at football and you look at baseball, especially football, you understand that sometimes they don't challenge plays that could have an overall effect on the game, but they don't challenge them because they're worried that they're not going to get the challenge right, and they're worried that they're going to need it for later on in that game. And to me, that's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to get these calls right, and I think VAR is helping 
Um, I don't think it's perfect. I don't think the number of cameras is standardized. Um, I would like to see them put actual modeling into play, mathematical modeling into these things. That way you could then go back and say, no, without a doubt, and they can do this, by the way. We see people, and, and really with the camera angles and everything else, you do it. But if you can put a first down line on the television for you know football, um, there's no reason that you can't go in there and superimpose a straight line on a field and then go and say, okay, so is he offside or is he not offside? Um, and use mathematical models to do that because I think that's where you really need... The biggest deals here are still going to be offside. They're still going to be on goals. They're still going to be on penalty kicks and red cards. I like what they've included in terms of, you know, hey, these are the only things that you're allowed to review. It just happens in MLS. You had a game with five goals, so every single goal gets reviewed. Uh, you actually had more than that because they disallowed some of them. So there were a lot in this game, but this game was sloppy. And that's what you get. I mean, in a one nothing game, you don't have nearly as many VAR reviews, probably. Um, so it's just, it, it's a matter of the game. Uh, everybody's big sort of, uh, you know, look at it this week is is that Ted Uncle in the DC United and Columbus Crew game, and the reason we can talk about a little bit is that Columbus is ticked off, and they should be because they're horrible right now. And Ted Uncle interfered with a DC United player in the center of the field. They actually ran into him, uh, and then they used VAR to come back and say that a Columbus player fouled him, which is probably still also true, um, and they pulled the goal back from Columbus, and, you know, Caleb Porter cried and whined about it, um, as he's known to do whenever he was with Portland, and now he's doing it with, with uh, Columbus, but ultimately, they probably got the call right, and they used VAR to do it. I know Columbus fans don't want to hear that, but they they did it, and that was supposedly the most controversial call. It wasn't even that controversial. I think it was actually a really good call. But you look at some of these other ones, and you look at this one in the Galaxy. Listen, this 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 mattered to the Galaxy. Uh, they got it right on the field. They screwed it up on video review, and that's a problem for the Galaxy because they should have gotten away with a point. And if the Galaxy get a point out of this, I think everybody's pretty happy with it, and it's probably deserved. Um, but with the defensive breakdowns, with the ability for New York to be able to cut the ball back and put it on the, on the penalty spot, Kevin, to be able to put it at the top of the box multiple times. Now, two goals came off of that particular cutback. Uh, the fact that there were no midfielders in sight and that the Galaxy defense sucked too close to the line, um, you know, all those things sort of play in it as well. I don't think it's an unjust result for the LA Galaxy, but I do think that Pro screwed this up. Um, I think that VAR screwed this up, and the fact that we don't know what they were looking for uh, is is super disappointing because that always adds clarity. Even if they give you a standard answer, which I think at the uh, at uh, the uh, in the games I've covered so far this year in LA, we've challenged or or asked questions three times so far in the first six games that the Galaxy have played. Um, so three times we've gone to the referees after a game and asked for clarification on calls, and three times we got answers that at least showed a little bit of light of what they were looking at. And I guarantee if you ask them, what was the discussion about VAR about? Because you're allowed to ask about it. And what was the conclusion? Why did why did um, you go and take a look at it on the monitor? You could ask all these questions and they would give you answers. Sometimes they're not the best answers, but you would have had an idea about, I guarantee they're going to tell you that, oh, well, we thought that Brian White touched the ball in the first one and that's why it was called offside. And so then whenever we went at video review, we saw the ball didn't touch him. And then in fact, Felcher touched it and redirected it and went in. And that negated the offside that very well could have been their answer it would be wrong but that could have been their answer yeah and the the, the guy that you really feel sorry for is david bingham because he, that's his first three goal game in quite some time and he really didn't give up three goals no no i mean you know listen i don't think he played particularly well um it was one of his poorer games but again it was one of the galaxy's poorer games so i'm, I'm not i don't think if you're a galaxy fan you are dissuaded from thinking that this team is 
is good this year. Uh, they outplayed New York. They should have outplayed New York. They just didn't get the result, and that's unfortunate. There's some things that you question in terms of the defense and the midfield and maybe a little bit of the goalkeeping. You have to say, okay, is that going to become a trend? But whenever you look at it, uh, the LA Galaxy through 10 games, Kevin, right now, have 22 points uh, in 2019. And if you go back and you take 2017 through 10 games, which is 11 points, and 2018 through 10 games, which is 10 points. That's 21 points. So if you combine 27 and 2018, you have one point less than the LA Galaxy do right now um, in through 10 games. I think you have to be pretty happy with the Galaxy, understanding this May was going to be a killer for you anyway, and that this was one of the tougher games in it. Um, and and this game coming up on Wednesday is also a tougher game. Does that? And if the Galaxy win this game coming up on Wednesday, they lead not only the conference, but the Supporter Shield race. They are the best team in MLS if they win this game. Absolutely. Who would have thunk that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a little turnaround whenever you think about it and, and sort of look at it right now. It's a huge game for the Galaxy for that reason. The game over the weekend against New York City actually is probably a little bit less important uh, whenever you look at sort of the ramifications of everything that can happen. But right now, the LA Galaxy will be the only Western Conference team to play, which gives them this opportunity to pick up points on the entire Western Conference uh, if they can get all three or even if they can get one. It's one point that everybody else didn't get um, midweek. So it's a tough schedule. It'll be tough to play. And Columbus was in D.C., granted, not very far away. Um, but it's, it's, they were at least traveling, so they'll come home. Um, and so the Galaxy have been in Columbus now, and they'll get ready for that game. And then, Kevin, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, charter home on Thursday or on Wednesday night as soon as the game's over, right? Yeah, this is very interesting. And by the way, you say that the only Western Conference team to play a midweek game and, and they have a chance to pick up points on the field, but that also means they're the only Western Conference team playing three games uh, in, in a week. So yeah. that's a bad thing. And they are chartering home. Now, the MLS rules, this is very interesting, and I think the Galaxy are very, very smart on this, and I think you'll see other teams do it. MLS rules say that you can use four charter segments a year. Segments is a key word that is really irrelevant because what they mean is a, a segment, if you fly – from Vancouver to Dallas, and you have a connection in Kansas City, that's two segments. No one is going to charter a flight that's going to stop somewhere. Right. So it, it's that's ridiculous. So anyway, you have four charter flights a year is what it comes down to. Almost every team saves them for the playoffs. Um, but remember, the playoff the format has changed. There are no home-and-home home series. Remember, it used to be you'd play a weekend game and then a midweek game, and you'd want to get home from that first game as fast as possible to prepare for the second game. Um, with the new uh, one-game playoff format, no two-leg uh, playoffs, and the fact that if you finish in the top half of your conference, you're going to have mostly home games. You're not going to be flying at all. Banking those charter flights it doesn't make any sense because you may not need to use them. You may have one playoff flight or, or you know, at, at maybe at best, maybe you fly to the Eastern Conference team. So you're not going to need those charter flights. The Galaxy looked at their schedule and said, look, we can't get out of Columbus on a commercial flight until Thursday morning. That means we got to do regen for the most part Friday. And then we play a game Saturday. Not only do we play Saturday, but we play Saturday at one o'clock. Yeah. Um, was, you know, which, okay, what's the difference between one and seven? It's six hours, and that's very important body time-wise coming back from that trip. So the Galaxy very smartly say, let's charter a flight. We'll get out of Columbus by midnight, one o'clock. We'll get back to L.A., you know, early in the morning uh, with the time change. We'll be able to get back to in, in to Dignity Health Sports Park around noon or one o'clock in the afternoon, do our regen, and then we can train on Friday and play the game on Saturday. It, they pick up a whole day by chartering, a whole day of training regen. It's a very smart thing to do. 
knowing that, again, they're not going to need those charter flights during the playoffs because they're likely going to be at home for most of the postseason. Yeah, that's if everything continues. Almost a third of the way through the season. I guess uh, 11 games would be as close as you can get to a third of the season. So one more game whenever they play this midweek game. They will be a third of their way through the season at that point. Uh, whenever you look at the LA Galaxy and sort of the, the different charts uh, that I've been taking a look at, the biggest one to me right now is through 10 games played. They've scored 17 goals, conceded 11. They're on pace to score about 57 goals and give up about 37, 38 goals. Uh, and whenever you compare that to some of the things that have happened in previous seasons right now, um, it's that's that's such an improvement, it's ridiculous. Um, so the LA Galaxy uh, doing just fine so far through the first 10 games of the season. 11th game here will be very important. Galaxy sitting second in the Western Conference right now, Kevin, as we've talked about, uh, sitting behind LAFC, um, who was a 0-0 draw at home to Chicago, which allows the LA Galaxy to really, uh, I guess if you're the Galaxy and you lose that game, which they did, um, it was kind of the best time to lose whenever you looked at the other results around the league. Uh, Houston ended up winning, which puts Houston in third. Houston right now has the best points per game in Major League Soccer. Uh, I was sleeping on them a little bit. I, I thought that they came in and played the Galaxy pretty well. I like the Galaxy as the better team than them, but at 2.38 points per game and having only played eight games... Don't ask me why they only played three games last month. But having only played eight games, uh, they're at 2.38 points per game, uh, which would jump them over the Galaxy's 2.2 and over LAFC's 2.18. The Galaxy will pick up the one game they have in hand this weekend over LAFC uh, whenever they play, excuse me, on Wednesday night. So that'll make them even on games played with LAFC uh, and give you a pretty good idea. With three points, the LA Galaxy would be one point clear of LAFC um, at the top of the Western Conference and at top of the Supporter Shield. Um, The other big surprise I guess, uh, and and I was joking around last weekend saying it looks like the Galaxy's best win of the year so far, Kevin, was probably over the Philadelphia Union whenever you look at how good the Union have been. Uh, Philadelphia currently sits third in the Supporter Shield um, at 1.82 points per game, having played 11 uh, games, and they just finish a 6-1 demolition of the New England Revolution, who by all accounts should probably be relegated in a league that has no relegation. Um, so, uh, very interesting what's happening on the Eastern side of things, uh, Philadelphia union rising to the top DC United, um, the Montreal impact also a a fairly good team. So just, uh, sort of keep an eye on that and and look how it goes, um, as we continue down this way. Uh, do you want to New York Red Bulls last year's supporter shield winner who set a record MLS record for points? They're not even in the playoff picture right now. They're not Even even after the win over the galaxy. They're not, they were very poor to start this. And the last time they were that poor, apparently they ended up winning the supporter shield. So I'm just not cutting. Uh, you know, catching them out yet. I'm not going to say that they're bad. Um, they don't have a lot of players. It's like Sporting Kansas City is a good team, but they had to cancel practice last week because they only had like six players available to actually train. Um, well, and Atlanta United, the last year's MLS Cup champions, also outside the playoff picture right now. Hey, it's MLS. Toronto FC looking very good whenever it looks at uh, at how many goals per game they're scoring and all sorts of things. So yeah, I mean, the league is sort of ramping up now as we look. Uh, one of the things that won't be happening for Toronto FC, though, as we talked about on Thursday, uh, we told you that Omar Gonzalez looked like he was going to Toronto. Apparently, that's not happening Happening as uh, Sam Steschkel and Steve Buffery uh, sort of reporting that Omar Gonzalez not coming to, to, to Toronto uh, and Liga MX not willing to uh, sell him, apparently. Uh, I think it's either Atlas or his rights are owned by Pachuca, um, and Pachuca has the loan deal or however that is. Um, I, I didn't go deep into it once I found out he wasn't, uh, wasn't going to go to Toronto, but Omar Gonzalez not going to Toronto. But Kevin, another player looks like he may be headed to Mexico. 
Yeah, more alumni news. Gio, Gio Dos Santos, remember him? Um, looks like he is uh, negotiating with a couple of Liga MX teams. Uh, he's talking to two of the teams he's talking to, Monterey and Club America, are teams that his father played for. Uh, Gio was actually born in Monterey when his dad was playing there. So he definitely has some connections with those teams. One of the sticking points is he wants $4.5 million, which, of course, is about $2 million less than he would have got or he did get, I guess, from the Galaxy, would have got to play for the Galaxy this year. We don't know the terms of the buyout yet. But but Gio wants to get back in the game, and that's really important for him and in his career because in his uh, age 30 year, he really can't afford at this part, part in his career to take an entire year off, an entire calendar year off without playing and then try to come back at, in his age 31 year. So uh, Gio talking to a couple teams in Mexico, uh, we could hear something soon, but the the money that he wants is just a little bit too rich for anybody right at this time. Well, another uh, another tournament, and and speaking of Mexico, the United States, and everything else, uh, the Gold Cup coming up for the U.S. men's national team, Mexican national team, um, as they get ready to uh, to play that tournament in June. Um, there was a little Gold Cup news out this uh, today, um, and that some high profile players look like they will not be going to the Gold Cup for Mexico, which sort of answers or sort of questions whether or not uh, a young 21-year-old midfielder playing for the LA Galaxy who scored two goals in two games uh, in his last two games, uh, Uriel Antuna, might possibly get called up by Tata Martino. Um, I think it would be a blow to LA Galaxy fans whenever you look at trying to lose Antuna for any amount of time. But you're expecting that Jonathan Dos Santos will get called up to the Mexican national team, especially the way he's playing. Uh, You're expecting that Sebastian Legette will get called up to the U.S. men's national team. Um, I think that's probably going to be it for the for sure call-ups, but Uriel Antuna very well could be included in that Gold Cup call-up, which would, again, I think it would disadvantage the LA Galaxy. Um, But with only three games in June, perhaps they can survive with both of those teams expected to be gone for, I think, most of the month, Kevin. Uh, I, I think you'd expect those teams to meet in the final. Well, a couple things about that. David Bingham could also be called up too, which might even be a bigger blow to the Galaxy. But uh, the thing with Antuna, Tato Martino has talked about Antuna. He said he's a guy he's looked at. He's a guy um, that he thinks has some value to the team. Uh, he, another thing is he's he really fits the, the style perfectly, the style that Tata Martino wants to play, that he played in Atlanta, that he's trying to bring to the Mexican national team. So bringing a 21-year-old guy in that plays your style, I mean, you know, there could be a lot worse ideas than that. Uh, and by the way, which MLS general manager has uh, more of a of a connection with the Mexican national team than any other? It's got to be Dennis DeClosa. If he got wind that uh, perhaps Antuna was really on the radar and that that was serious, wouldn't he want to go out and get a player, say, a, a Fabio Alvarez, and get him in before the transfer window closes so that he had some cover if Antuna got called up to the Gold Cup? Yeah. It'll be interesting to see when all the, when, when, uh, you know, the dust settles how much uh, of a heads-up DeClosa got and, and whether that really figured into him pushing to get this deal done before the transfer window. Because, again, once again, if that's true, Dennis DeClosa comes out looking smart again. Yeah, he has so far always looked smart. Uh, injuries as we go through. Perry Kitchen expected to be back to, I believe, full training either this week or next week. Uh, certainly coming out of there, he was training off to the side um, this last week before uh, they went on the East Coast road trip. So he's one of those guys from Ron Allison Journey we talked about out of the, until September. Other than that, I think the Galaxy are clear right now. Uh, Julian Araujo is with the team. I was told that he is available and that it was probably more of a coach's decision not to dress him against the New York Red Bulls. Um, that may mean that he certainly starts against Columbus, although that's a, that's a little bit of a reach as, a, as I sort of you know look at it. But it, it's something to keep an eye on. It, as, by all accounts, Kevin, I've been told Araujo is, is good to go and ready to go. 
And and Didi Tuari took a knock at the end of that game. He may be it's someone cool. that needs to to sit out. Um, coming back just a couple of days later, I, I, it was interesting that Araujo made that trip when he wasn't going to be among the eighteen. That's something that rarely seems to happen in MLS, and I think that's because they probably took an extra large squad on this trip. Uh, to stay, you know, rather than have guys fly in and join the team in Columbus, they stayed with the team the whole trip. That again is is another hint to me that we could see some squad rotation in this game in Columbus. Okay, so uh, I do have an injury update on Triori because I actually asked. It looked like cramps, so I wanted to make sure uh, the Galaxy confirmed to me that it was cramps. So we'll see whether or not he's recovered enough to play. But if you've seen him play and run uh, the entire ninety minutes, you can understand why he would suffer from cramps. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, back yeah. up. Mm-hmm. You asked the Galaxy I and did. they gave you an answer. And they gave well, see, I it came that with explains an explains the rain. It, we it, had rain out here today. That's it, why. It, it, it came it came with an assumption on my part, so I think I made it easy for him. I was like, I'm assuming those are cramps, right? Yes, those are cramps. Okay, cool. That's fine. There we go. Okay, so we got it. So the assumption on my part, I think, uh, got that done. But yes, got got that got that cleared for you right there. Um, all right, let's get to this game. Uh, the LA Galaxy playing Columbus Crew on Wednesday, May 8th, 2019. This is a 4.30 p.m. Pacific time kickoff. It's uh, also GBS's homecoming. It is GBS's homecoming, so that's a big deal. This game can be found on Spectrum Sportsnet. I'm going to warn you right now, if you have Spectrum Sportsnet and you plan on streaming it from your office, there is a chance that they will not let you stream it unless you are in the room where your Wi-Fi comes from through Spectrum. All right, just trust me on this. It's happened before, so you might want to try to find a place to find this. You might want to get off work early and actually go home and watch it on television. If you're expecting this to be on ESPN+, Plus, unless you are uh, somehow getting around the blocking, um, which I know some of you are very good at doing, um, maybe VPN, I don't know, that's all illegal, so I would never suggest you do that. Uh, but anyway, if you're trying to find it on ESPN+, Plus, that will be blacked out. So this is a special sports net game um, at Map Free Stadium, Columbus Crew, uh, facing off against the LA Galaxy. Kevin, the uh, the Galaxy's record 7 2 and 1, 22 points. Columbus 4 6 and 1, 13 points. But the big deal here is that Columbus has lost their last five games. They didn't, that doesn't mean there were any draws in there. They've literally lost their last five games and been outscored 10 to 2 during those games. Uh, the LA Galaxy on their side, two losses in their first 10 games. So on a little bit different of a streak uh, in terms of the LA Galaxy and the Columbus crew. Yeah, things not working out for Caleb Porter, the guy who was almost the Galaxy's coach and and uh, team Jassy's artist, not doing, not doing as well as they had uh, hoped. Uh, by the way, um, as we know, GBS won an MLS Cup there, playing yes. in Columbus, won it at the StubHub Center, which was then the Home Depot Center. I was, now- I was, I was at that game. Dignity Health Sports Park. You were. You I, were at that game. I was that. That was Home Depot Center. Uh, that was. Uh, that was. It was a bad, bad weather day, wasn't it? No, it was fine. I think. Okay. I think it was fine. It was Columbus versus New York Red Bulls. Uh, that was what the final ended up being because back that back in the day you could qualify for you know it was it it didn't matter which conference you were in. Remember those days? Whenever it didn't matter which conference you were in, and you, you could have two Eastern Conference teams face off against each other at the end. Yes, that was. That's- that that's was the time. So, that's so weird. Yeah. The Red Bulls and Columbus, the two teams that the Galaxy are playing this week. Yes, yes, I know. We crazy stuff. But anyway, yeah, I, yeah. Was, at the, I so, was at the game. So he won an MLS Cup there, was the most valuable player in the league that year, was the most valuable player in the MLS Cup final. And he was asked about his return to Columbus, and he said in Spanish, it's nice to return to Ohio where I played for four years. The truth is it will be a nice return. 
But right now, I am only thinking about today's game. He said that after the loss to the Red Bulls. Well, uh, it's going to be an, a, a difficult game, I think, for the Galaxy. Obviously, the short turnaround time, um, the body clock again at 4.30 p.m. Time. Listen, body clock matters. In fact, it matters so much that if you've ever watched any of the NFL-like schedule releases um, that they do with different teams, especially the Rams always do a video where they tell them about stuff, is the scheduler will actually tell them body clock time, which is, hey, you live, on the, you live in Pacific time, and we're going to give you a 4 p.m., Eastern time kickoff, which is a 1 p.m. body clock time. Um, and they do it even whenever they go over long distances. That's whenever it matters the most. So, well, a lot of teams have sleep coaches. It wouldn't monitor that stuff. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that was that was the case. I, I think, you know, MLS has to get there. But the body clock matter. The fact that the LA Galaxy kicked off at 11 a.m. versus the New York Rebels, 11 a.m. body clock time does matter. Um, that stuff always matters. And early games are not very good for the LA Galaxy. So even that 1 p.m. time uh, that's going to kick off at Dignity Health Sports Park against uh, New York City on Saturday, a 1 p.m. kickoff, which will probably be more like 120-something, 117, 118, because it's a nationally televised game on ESPN. Um, so whenever you push that back. But that's early after being on the East Coast all that time and then coming back and then again a body clock time at, at 1 p.m. So anyway, that matters. Yeah, well, so, yeah. Don't sleep. Yeah. Don't sleep on this body clock thing because it's important. And that's why teams are now employing these sleep coaches, because uh, what, what people have told me is it's like, look, we have uh, figured everything out as far as training goes. We have the, the best kind of equipment. We have the best training ideas. You know, the players wear those monitors now so they can uh, they, they know how far they've run and, and how their uh, heart rate reacted to that. All that's done. Then they went to diet. Now the diet is taken care of. You see players after training, they all have individually made uh, protein shakes. Uh, a goalkeeper has a different kind of protein shake than a midfielder does because they have the different nutritional needs. Um, so all that's been taken care of. Uh, you know, the new frontier is is really sleep. And when you talk about a continental sized country like the United States, where there are four time zones, when you go from one to the other, sleep patterns get disrupted. And and uh, we've seen in, in a lot of different sports, a lot of NBA teams now lo no longer do uh, morning shoot arounds when they go to a different time zone. Some uh, baseball teams will skip batting practice. Uh, it's something that is becoming more prevalent in soccer. But because so many European teams, club teams, do not really have to deal with time zones, um, it's been a little bit slow to get adopted. National teams use it. Uh, Mexico used it in the World Cup. They had a sleep coach with them. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks are a really big proponent of it, and I think you'll start to see that. The Galaxy did have a sleep uh, coach or uh, someone who was very in tune with the the, the needs of, uh, of sleep and sleep patterns last year. I don't know if they have that this year. Um, but I think it is the new frontier in soccer, and especially I think it will. This will be one of those things that will start in the U.S. I think and go to Europe as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, with the with the as you said, the wide swath of land that it covers the United States. Uh, that that's certainly something that you could see. Um, you know, again, Columbus is a bad team right now. They've been bad. This is one of those things Eric and I always joke about on the Thursday night shows. Is like it's it's like roulette though, Kevin. You know, you you keep seeing it come up, and it's you know black twenty one, black twenty one, black seventeen, and it keeps staying black, and you're like it's for sure going to turn red. It is going to be red, and I'm going to bet on it right now because it's been black four times in a row. It's going to be this red, and then what happens is it's black six times in a row. You're like, okay, now it's definitely going to be red, and then it's black seven times. You know, the probability count here is that, you know, Columbus is not going to lose here from here on out until the rest of the time, so they're going to win, but are they going to beat a good team right now like the LA Galaxy? And they are the LA Galaxy healthy enough? Are they rested enough? This is where you get in the squad rotation. If I'm Guillermo Barra-Scalotto, this is the time after a defense lets in three goals that you can go in there and say, okay, 
Uh, Gonzalez, you get to start. Pipo, you're in for for Steris. Steris, you didn't have a bad game. It wasn't horrible, but we need to do something. That was three goals. It was too much. You're probably tired. Let's give him a chance to go in there. And the bottom line is that Pipo goes in and holds that position. Steris probably doesn't get it back again. Just sort of the way that this is going to look right now. But you also have to look at Triori versus Shelvick on the left-hand side and Araujo uh, versus Felcher on the right-hand side. Those are where I see the squad rotation. Other than that, I don't think you're going to see Juninho starting. I don't think you're going to see Carrasco starting because it screws up the LA Galaxy's triangle midfield too much. Um, I think Ibrahimovic starts because who else are you going to start? Are you going to start Cuello? Are you going to start Pontius up there? Are you going to shift some things around? It doesn't make sense to me to try to do that. Even if they're tired, those are still your best options off the bench. So we'll be, I guess the only sort of wild card for me, Kevin, is that if Fabio Alvarez sides uh, tomorrow on May 7th and, and actually you know is available and ready to go and ITC and visas and all that stuff have already been taken care of and done, then is he possible for Wednesday or is it more of a Saturday or is he even ready for Saturday and would GPS uh, start him right away anyway? So all those things are, are sort of question marks for me. You know who this is a big game for? Uh, Caleb, Caleb Porter. This is a huge game for Caleb Porter. Say, say, no. say it with me. Caleb Porter. Caleb. Caleb. There you, the, go. you know the guy who's the Columbus coach? Yes. This is a big game for him. Yes, it, it um, needs Chris, to be. Chris Klein's former college roommate, the guy who thought he had the job, the guy that went and sat courtside at the Laker game with uh, all of the, the Galaxy brass and then wound up not getting the job. We're told because the Galaxy wouldn't give him the extra year he wanted on his contract. I think probably realistically is Dennis DeClosa was just sort of <laughs> leading Chris Klein along and said, yeah, your guy's good. Your guy's good. Oh, he he won't take the contract I offered. Sorry, we can't sign him. We're going to go get this guy in Argentina. I think Dennis DeClosa probably had this thing mapped out the whole way. But in any case, I think Mr. Porter, whatever his first name is, I think this is a big game to him. I think he wants to show the Galaxy that perhaps they picked the wrong guy. I, I don't know that anyone agrees with that uh, right now especially, but I, I think he wants to go out and prove that uh, um, he is the better coach, and the best way to do that is to beat the Galaxy. You know who else this is a big game for? This is a big game for Greg Berhalter because Greg Berhalter was at Columbus for a long time and, and basically was able to create good out of that team, and so far Caleb Porter has not been able to create good out of this team. Um, and I think it was more of a magic show than people really they, they ever realized with Burhalter and, and sort of looking at that. And I think that whenever you see what a, you know, a top tier club like the LA Galaxy who are playing well, um, who have all of that history behind them and, and sort of that ability, when you look at what they're going to be able to do on short rest, coming in against a team that is playing poorly. I mean, this is one of those games where you'd expect that the LA Galaxy get the win, and if they're not tired and they find a way to push through and do it, that they win by multiple goals, you know, two to nothing, three to one, that type of thing. Uh, if the tiredness gets to them, if the subs, and, and you've been seeing the sub pattern from Guillermo Barra-Scoletto is always letting the other team sort of make the first subs and then reacting to those, but also... He understands he has a short bench even whenever he has, you know, the full 18-man roster out there. The bench is short, Kevin, uh, because he doesn't have really any offensive subs. Cuello is that is that guy right now, and he hasn't been playing him in the last two games. Uh, and they needed an offensive sub coming in. You have Boateng sort of being the only quote-unquote game-changer and really just pace-changer more than anything else uh, coming off the, uh, the, the, the bench. So, you know, again... It's interesting to see how Guillermo will manage this, but it's also going to be uh, really a, a focus of a team that's going in the horrible opposite direction and a team like the Galaxy who, despite their loss 
still sort of advance their offensive sort of scheme against New York involving Pontius and Antuna. And that's multiple times now through the last couple of games where you've had other guys besides Zlatan Ibrahimovic score. Zlatan's involved. He's dropping deeper. He's a playmaker and he's a goal scorer. So all of that furthers the LA Galaxy. And this should be one of those culminating games, except for the fact that it's in the uh, in the middle of your East Coast road swing and that you're tired already um, and that you're going to have to play a midweek game. What? Well, these midweek games, I mean, just look, this is the game the Galaxy should win. We both agree on that. But if you look back, you know, when LAFC went to play Vancouver, winless Vancouver, right? Uh, When they went to play Vancouver, it was a midweek game. The LAFC was all saying, you know, we're not looking past this game. We're not looking past this game. Guess what? They got beat. Were they looking past the game? I don't know. It was a midweek game on the road, an opponent they should have beat, and they didn't play well, and they lost. The Galaxy, when they went to Minnesota, I thought it was the same thing. It was a midweek game on the road against an opponent that was struggling that they should have beat. They wound up uh, with, with, the, with draw. the draw. Yeah. You know, now we're back again in a, a midweek game against an opponent they should beat on the road. Um, you know, it's very difficult to win on the road in MLS. Uh, and this is a this just has all the, the markings of one of those games where the Galaxy are saying, wait till we get back home. This will be great when we get back home at the weekend. Um, and they're. I'm not saying they're looking past this game. I'm just saying that history shows that midweek games and on the road in MLS against weak opponents lead to upsets a lot of times. You hit on you hit on one of Josh Gessman's truths about Major League Soccer. Winning on the road, whether it's midweek or anything else, is hard. Uh, there's a reason that all of the stats, whenever they they look at and try to grade these teams beforehand and tell you win percentages and everything, give the home team you know an extra 25 percent um, in terms of the boost. It's because you're at home. That is, you are, you are going to get the calls. You're going to have your home team. The other team had to travel to get to you in a Major League Soccer that usually involves some pretty serious travel. So all of those things equal and equate to winning on the road in Major League Soccer, regardless, irregardless of what you're trying to do, um, is very difficult. Um, that comes that comes along Josh's other, Josh Gessman's other MLS truth, which is winning MLS Cups is hard. So there, there you go. Now, now you've got two out of the three of Josh's MLS truths. Yeah, but don't listen to me. You know who my preseason pick was to have a really great season was Colorado Rapids. I was going to say, there's another dumpster they fire. Up, they picked up a lot of good players. I thought they were going to play really well. How many wins do they have this season? Zero. Yeah, they fired their coach. Connor Casey's now over there, a, a Galaxy Tim killer. Howard has given up like 11 million goals already. Hey, what do you know? When you have a bad defense, it kind of doesn't matter what your uh, what your goalkeeper can do. And uh, I think David Bingham understands that from last season. But he's also been a lot better this year, so, so you're seeing that. It, it, listen, Major League Soccer is hard. It is parody-driven. Any team can beat any other team, and you've heard it from you know soccer players and 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 uh, and Galaxy players now. You know, ever since I've been covering the league since 2009, they've all been saying that same thing. So, all right, uh, that's it. The LA Galaxy face off against the Columbus Crew May 8th. 2019, 4.30 Pacific time. That's the Wednesday game uh, at Matt Free Stadium on Spectrum Sportsnet. And don't come crying to me whenever it's all blocked out. And I think I might even have to leave work early in order to get home to be able to watch it on TV. So, yeah. You have, you have a job? I do. Sometimes. Every awesome. once in a while. I have like two or three or four jobs sometimes too. So, uh, Congratulations. Keep... Did you get paid for any of them? Uh, yes. I get paid for most of them. Just this one I don't get paid for. Just like I don't you. I don't get paid for this one either. Yeah. I was going to say, just like you. You don't get paid for this one either. All right. Uh, anything else, Kevin? You good? Um, this was a long one. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Well, there was a lot to talk about. You know, that's Congrats. that's that's how it goes. All right. Uh, if you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, you can find him at kbaxter11. 
And of course, head on over to latimes.com where you can find all this writing covering soccer in Southern California, including the U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team, uh, Mexican national team, sometimes basically soccer in and around Southern California and the nation. Kevin Baxter's got you covered at latimes.com. Uh, if you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at jgesman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and of course, at Galaxy Podcast, cornerofthegalaxy.com, where you can find all of our podcasts, videos, articles, all that stuff will get you ready for the game on Wednesday. So a big game for the Galaxy coming up on Wednesday night against Columbus back home to New York City on Saturday. So we'll see you out at Dignity Health Sports Park on Saturday. Live show coming up on Thursday, so don't miss that with Mr. Larry Morgan, not on Twitter. All right, for Mr. Kevin Baxter, the Panda, I'm Josh Gessman, Pato, and you've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.